0: Why 480? It's the number that drives our work lives.
1: 480 minutes.
0: That's all you have every work day. And the decisions that you make each minute can change everything. When you plan out your business goals over the next two years, that's only 480 work days to get it done. In your entire 40 year career, you've only got 480 months to make an impact with your work. Time is the limit we can't control. Because time is your most precious resource. This is the Leadership 480 Podcast. Hello again and welcome to the Leadership 480 Podcast from DDI. My name is Craig Irons and I'll be your host today. And our topic today is one related to the 480 months of a leader's career. And specifically talking about an important career transition that many leaders go through. And as the world is becoming more globally connected and, you know, people are not uh, necessarily living and working in the same place all the time as they once did, uh, we're talking today about expat assignments. And expat assignments, of course, are uh, assignments that leaders get where they need to go live and work in a different part of the world away from their home country for at least a period of time. So we're going to explore that today with someone who is going to be able to share their personal story and their personal perspective on what it's like to take on an expat assignment. We're talking today to Bruce Watt, and Bruce is Vice President for Europe, India, and Australia and Licensee Operations for DDI. Bruce, thanks for joining us today and welcome. Thank you, Craig. I'm very pleased to be here. So. Let's talk about you know, your experience as an expat leader. Um, you know, we were talking a little bit here before we, we sat down and started recording uh, that uh, you, know, you, you sort of came to this a little late in the game or later than some leaders do. You had yeah. your first expat assignment at age 47. Um, and just to provide a little background uh, for our listeners, uh, you know, Bruce is originally from Australia He's now lived, lives and is based out of Europe, and as we're talking here today, we are just outside of Pittsburgh, which is, of course, in North America. So, uh, Bruce, can you tell us about that expat assignment that you took on at age 47, and what was that like? It was
1: a exhilarating experience, uh, somewhat unexpected, and... Um, I uh, I say that because I'd, I'd had a, you know, I've, I've been with DDI since since 2000, and uh, most of that time, I'd been managing director of Australia, which uh, a role which I treasure and love, and um, you know had a sort of what I thought was an idyllic life, uh, living in Sydney on on uh, Manly Beach and. Uh, you know, everyone, everything was going swell. And in, in living uh, and working in your home country. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Sydney's one of the only cities in the world where you can have a, a serious uh, corporate life and still surf in the morning and surf in the afternoon. So, you know, there are there are many things that are, um, I guess, uh, <laughs> you know, considered to be idyllic about that for some people, certainly me. Um, but, you know, sometimes you don't really realise what's sort of going on underneath. Um, I, I certainly didn't have a, a strong sense of... Um, a desire to move and work work overseas. Um, and there had been some discussions before that, which which um, hadn't led to anything. Um, certainly my motivation uh, probably wasn't sufficient to do it. And I'm not really sure why, when um, when my boss sort of approached me about it, things seemed different. I often reflect on that and think, wow, why why all of a sudden in that moment did I think, yeah, that's, this is gonna be something I wanna do. Um, so uh the the role at the time was to um to move with my family to uh, uh to london and uh manage uh, our uh, our european business um five five locations paris dlsdorf uh, poznan in poland and moscow uh, but it had a pretty strong mandate and that, that was to do a, um, a, a a business turnaround as quickly as possible um, and, you know, not just sort of a structural financial turnaround. We we were trying to actually transform, or we needed to transform quickly, from a, a constellation of country operations, which had been in existence for a long time, to a pan-European region. And uh, I, um, I had an intellectual appreciation of that. And I guess I, <laughs> when I found myself actually engaging in that, I... I sort of think the things that helped me um, with any success that I had in that go back to some early work in Australia, where we also had to do a pretty significant transformation of that business. Um, So it's funny when you take on an expat assignment sometimes, how many things in your past become, if you're a reflective individual, and I think reflection and curiosity is really important to expat leaders, become really relevant, and, and you start to think, about you know, how experiences in the past are relevant to decisions that you're making now,
0: uh, even though it's a different cultural context. So before uh, you moved to London and took on that, that challenging assignment, uh, you know, had you traveled much out of Australia prior to that?
1: Uh, a lot for, for work, I guess. Um, some client um, well, going back, you know, all Australians do their backpacking jaunts, um, and then and then some sort of you know when I worked in universities, conferences, and um, sure. some travel for work, but but nothing. You know, I would certainly not have made any claim that I was uh, a um, sort of a you know worldly travelled person, and um, to my great discredit, like a lot of Australians, we are educated very one dimensionally. You know, we uh, we don't learn languages. And uh, so there's nothing you know now I, now as I look at particularly Europeans and other Indians and people from the world who I, I sit at tables where people have three to five languages, and they're only speaking English because I'm the only duffer there that can speak English. So yeah. you know these things I see, see very differently now.
0: Sure. So language, you know being kind of an obvious challenge that can come up. Yeah. Um, but let's let 's explore what were like some of the the biggest challenges that that you encountered in terms of okay now you 're suddenly living in a different part of the world, working in a different part of the world you 're having yeah. to drive results yeah uh, you know what was what were the, the the toughest things you had to to confront and sort of adjust to
1: well're you're, you're, you're trying to integrate many domains of life. I remember I had my family with me, so um, getting them sort of uh, settled into um, in into london and schools um and i'm very fortunate to have uh you know ddi was wonderful in that in that respect um and i also have a pretty resilient family so you know um both my my son was going into his final three years of school my daughter was starting high school at the time um and um you know my wife is able to sort of you know manage all those things uh pretty well mm-hmm. uh, or very well in fact i shouldn't i shouldn't equivocate over that um And uh, they also had their pretty serious sport careers as well. So all those things fell into place, and that that quickly. And that's so important because an expat assignment is all immersive. (laughs) Um, And number one, you have to love your work. And and, and the intrinsic uh, passion that I have for for the purpose of the work that we do um, means that you I the family arrangement that we have and the way that worked out was key. So that that, that was the first thing I think that was a huge challenge that was overcome. Uh, and then in, a, in an operation like Europe where you're pretty much given your, your whole reason for being there is to fulfil uh, a cultural transformation, a uh, uh, sort of financial um financial transformation and really you know from a from a ddi point of view we were already immersed in our digital transformation at that time so uh i think the thing that i i reflect on is you just need to be unequivocally intrinsically passionate about that and um you know the purpose of that so um the next challenge of course becomes you know a whole lot of uh very valuable and talented people who uh are probably more attached to the past than where we're going. And if you can imagine, um, that's overlaid with, um, you know, all sorts of cultural and linguistic attachments with Germans and French and English people, um, to say the least, who, you know, are um, uh, being sort of integrated into a, uh, and mobilized around one business mandate. And that takes a lot of, uh, you don't do that on a spreadsheet, you don't do that (laughs) through sitting back and having a plan on a on you do that through uh an innumerable number of conversations most of which you hope will go well so the majority of time that you're um thinking and preparing in those early stages of an expat assignment if you're asked to do a transformation are how am i going to actually have this conversation that conversation what is the narrative here and it's a You need to love that and you need to prepare for that and you need to be
0: uh, disciplined about that. So, you made this move in 2014, Mm -hmm. so now you're five years in. I'm guessing that over the course of those five years, it's probably gotten a bit easier Mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, to you've probably found your footing as a leader and uh, work through some of the challenges that you've just just discussed but I guess the the downside of that I'm curious about can you get too comfortable to where you you think okay well I've got a handle on this and then you you kind of take your eye off the ball with some of the the challenges that are still going to be there every day yeah and I, I I think that's a really good insight Craig I um
1: I I guess um the I'd I actually do see this with some expat <laughs> um, uh, sort of colleagues that I've gotten to know over the years. Uh, it, it can become uh, a little bit sort of static, and, and, and people sort of get attached to things. Um, I think the thing with um, the way things have gone for me, because the the, the role sort of evolved pretty quickly. So over that five years, um, you know, sort of Europe, India, Australia, and then the uh, and then now the the licensee operations. Um, the challenge now probably is with the increasing scope in the role, trying to maintain effectiveness with, um, you know, a, a, a broader role. And I I actually nostalgically pined for the days when I first arrived in Europe and I had all my time to go and spend, you know, with clients and our teams in Germany and, sure. and in France and, and, and Britain and, and elsewhere. I don't have that anymore. So, um Trying to actually keep attached to um, sufficiently sufficiently not attached but sufficiently relevant um, is really hard, um, and, and and it takes it just takes more thought, and it takes more uh, wonderful leaders working with you. Uh, so it's a, it's a it's a different sort of challenge.
0: We're speaking today with Bruce Watt, Vice President for Europe India. In Australia and licensee operations for DDI, and we're talking about his experience as an expat leader, a native Australian now living and working based out of London. Bruce, there are some people, you know, who aren't even comfortable working from home. Mm. Uh, you know, they miss the day-to-day interactions with colleagues. They find it easier to meet face to face with their manager and so forth. So, how much is that? Almost sort of sense of disorientation or disconnection, and almost that feeling of sort of loneliness, if you will, that some people feel when they're even, you know, working mm. from home. How much is that ramped up to the nth degree when you know now you're you're not just physically disconnected from, you know, from your office and your coworkers, but you're you're halfway around the world. Yeah. Uh, you know what what's that like? That's a um,
1: something that you need to become pretty comfortable with. And my reflection on that phenomenon, I, I always think I'm I'm never alone, but I'm always alone. And and what that means is, uh, you know, I've um, most of the time I'm 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 mobile. You know, we call London as a base, and I love London. My family's actually moved back to Sydney now, um, and I need to be connected with teams in Europe, in India, Australia, seven different licensee operations all over the world. And a lot of that communication is obviously virtual. Skype now is a big part of my world. Um, And, you know, whether I'm on a plane or whether I'm sitting anywhere, it's a a really strange state of connectedness because um, I am physically alone. A lot of the time I can't Be with someone, but I'm I'm never alone. I'm 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 connected either um, through emails, Thor, a Skype call, and in in fact, that's something that I use um, constantly as a a sort of reference point. Um, You know, am I connected enough to the to 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 the people that I'm really there to serve? And um, again, that doesn't happen by chance. You 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 need to set up an infrastructure whereby. Um, you've you've got a schedule. You've got things in place that um, ensure that connectedness is 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 there. So there's a hell of a lot of organisation um, required. Otherwise, you know, to to put it plainly, you're probably going to be sitting on an aircraft, staring out of a window, feeling unconnected and and miserable.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I could see how that mm. that could be a reality for mm. for a lot of leaders. Increasingly, I know in the US colleges and universities offer semester abroad programs so a lot of people who are even when they come out of when they come out of school and are entering their first real professional job they've already had some experience living and yep. maybe with an intern assignment or whatever uh, living abroad you came to this expat assignment at hmm. age 47 uh, which, you know, is later than some other leaders might. Mm. And um, I don't want anyone to think I'm suggesting that 47 is old because, you know, you and I are about the same age. Mm. So so just want to clarify that here. But, yeah. um, you know, do you think that having some more life experiences, uh, you know, kind of prepared you in a way that, that you might not have been prepared and ready for this assignment had you gone at say age twenty five or twenty six.
1: I think so, uh, mainly because of the, the the business mandate that that I had, which was, uh, you know, I, I wasn't going there to be sort of a um, what I would call a fair weather leader um, to sort of manage the the status quo. Right. Um, I I was there to be a, an agent of change and um, and turn around business pretty quickly. So I had a lot of latitude for that. Um, and I had already done that in, um, in an early part of my career. So I had uh, a lot of um, a lot of experience in terms of you know you, the thing about a leader who's, who's going to manage change um, is when you know what happens next is a huge advantage. or you, right. you have a sense of what's around the corner or at least the options. And the first time I had to manage a a major sort of uh, turnaround, I had no idea. I never knew what was going to happen next. And uh, it was um, fairly sort of chaotic. Um, Nothing ever goes smoothly, of course. But I think that was the biggest um, advantage for me. Uh, There's also some things, I guess, that um, this is a little bit uh, extracurricular, but uh, it is relevant. So... Uh, one of my abiding passions in life is is football, soccer. and so I grew up playing in um, in Sydney, but it's a city Sydney, particularly the people who play soccer, it's an immigrant sport. so I grew up playing with people from all over the world. you know I had coaches who didn't speak English um, and so even though I didn't realize that those type of things give me a um, an accessibility as i as as I move around the world, you know um, Uh, you know, the wonderful thing about football, you see the world through football and you see culture through football. Um, I'm not just talking as a, you know, as a sort of a a jock. I'm talking to someone who finds a... um, It's my lens through which I I can actually interact with people without having knowledge. So I think a lot of my cultural assimilation um, was helped by things like that, um, somewhat unexpectedly, I think. Um, And then probably in my early days, you know, being an academic and, and having... Experiences with at conferences and things like that. But, you know, um, at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is, uh, in some ways, not be held hostage to a culture as well. So I know that when I sat down with my boss and we planned uh, what needed to happen uh, for this turnaround, we certainly didn't want me to be assimilating too much in, into the various cultures that, because we needed a turnaround and we needed actually to sort of find a way to uh, uh, sort of move away from some of the, uh, the, the, the cultural inhibitions that, that were holding back the business. So, you know, there are, there are a range of things. It's, um, um, but having some experience with, with what happens when you turn around a business and people are being mobilised through change and how you do it quickly is, is, is hugely advantageous.
0: Some organizations do a better job than others to set up their expat leaders for success for assignments like like the one you were given. As a leader who is heading into an expat assignment, thinking back, you know, when you made this move in 2014, um, you know, what were some of the things that um, you're either Glad you had, as far as support from from the organization, or maybe some some questions you wish you'd asked. Hmm. Uh, but you know, just sort of, I guess what I'm I'm, I'm really trying to to get to is, um, you know, it's an assignment, so you're being sent there. Hmm. Uh, but there is probably some latitude of control that the leader themselves will have to help set themselves up for success. So what yeah. kind of conversations do they need to have with, with say, with their manager? What kind of yeah. questions do they need to make sure they're asking? What what are the things that leaders themselves can do to sort of you yeah. know, make sure they're getting the support they need? Well, I guess, it, and it's important not to, to cast the, the same brush stroke
1: overall, expat sort of assignments, but the most important thing is to know what you're being asked to do. Um, I guess certainly, you know, I wasn't early in my career, so I, I wasn't just, you know, I, I was a senior leader who was asked to be, asked to, um, to do something. So the key question is, what am I being asked to do? And be really clear on that. Uh, and, uh, you know, once you sort of really understand that, then at least you can ask yourself, what are the things that I need? Uh, and, and for me, I, uh, I need my family happy. Uh, so if that's taken care of, then i 'm um, able to do what's what 's needed, so um, I was very fortunate in the organization was very supportive um, about that uh, because if, if it didn 't work for the family it didn 't work uh, you know f- for Lisa and my children Jack and ruby it, i couldn 't have you can 't do it so i would That's that 's particular for me it wouldn 't apply to everybody doing an expat assignment um, I think there 's a lot of work that gets done in um, With expats, it seems to be around, um, you know, cultural curiosity and and all that sort of stuff. Um, And I agree with that to some extent. Uh, But actually, one of the reasons you're given an expat assignment is to be a bit different. Because, um, you know, it's uh, certainly if if, if you're as a leader, the only reason that anybody's investing in the expat assignment is for you to make a difference. Right. So, actually, while, while you need to work within a culture and, and you need to have a curiosity, um, I, it does bother me sometimes that a lot of expat preparation seems to be more about the, sort of the culture than the business that you're being asked to, uh, to work through. Um, and the other thing I've always felt, I'm a psychologist by background, is that, you know, and I'm a psychologist, not a sociologist, right? So, um, I'm really interested in cultures, but actually, I'm being asked to work, look after and mobilise people. So I deal with psychology. I don't deal with cultures. Right. And, and you know, people are people and they have a psychology and a being. So that's probably something from my point of view that, that's really important too. I get horrendously offended when people stereotype cultures and say, ah, oh, these people are like this, these people are like that. Right. Uh, it's utterly unfounded and, and quite dangerous. So I think the... The role of a, a psychological background in in an expat assignment is hugely advantageous as well.
0: So let's reflect back a bit. I mean, you're again, you're five years in. Uh, you know, you've had a, a very successful uh, assignment uh, from from everything I've heard and from what I understand. But thinking back and looking back over your five years, what are some things that? that you really got right and what were some things that that maybe were some missteps for you and again thinking just of you know what what are some practical takeaways we can offer our listeners who who uh you know who might either be in an expat assignment or uh you know maybe or in the process of being offered one
1: i think in in the context of uh what i was asked to do um five years uh so I'm not. I'm not talking about the India, Australia, or the or the licensee operations because that's more recently. But certainly Europe. Um, when I first went over, and we were asked to sort of transform that business, and I wrote down what the uh, what my targets and goals were. Uh, they've been achieved, but they've been achieved too slowly. And I say that because um, what I actually wanted to do in three years has probably taken four years and a bit longer now um, I uh, um, I say that with legitimate regret but also you know, on reflection if what I could have done differently was when you what I should have done <laughs> um, to be really specific about it you know when I first arrived over there and, and I I looked at everything that needed to be done and the poem that needed to be written the thing that was the biggest influence we had a leadership team that were really protecting the past and we should have made much more drastic. I should have taken much more drastic action with that leadership team quickly because that probably cost us two years of time working through all those things, maybe 18 months. But that to me is the... If I had my time again, and it's the hardest thing to do, it's really the hardest thing to do, but when you really... uh, um, (sighs) Confront what needs to be done. It's so often those senior leaders who are standing in the way, and if only we had made those—I had made those, those decisions—pretty uh, much straight away, or even before I arrived, we would have moved so much more quickly. And and that's the thing about—I uh, think—an expat assignment when you're being asked to do something, they cost a lot of money. The organisation investing a huge amount of money, so the obligation is to do it as quickly as possible to get a return on investment. So. Uh, my advice to anybody taking on an expat assignment is be really clear on that. Are you prepared to really do what's necessary? Because there'll be a lot of things working against that. You know, these are people that you're dealing with who have a, you know, um, they're much more immersed than you are. And, you know, you don't take on an expat assignment to make friends. So right. um, those are, I, I do think that um, it didn't, ultimately we got to where we needed to get to. But I just should have moved more quickly. That's that's my honest reflection. Crate. So to, to kind of
0: boil that down, it almost sounds like the insight there is, you know, you you need to realize that you're there for a reason.
1: Yeah, you are. You are. It's not a holiday. You know? Right. <laughs> you know, this is from a for, from a capital allocation perspective. You know, we we invest hugely. Companies invest hugely, and and, and there's a reason. You know, and and. Uh, I think that's where um you know there's an ideology of expat assignments, and there's a practical capital allocation reason and you know I think everybody on expat assignments should should be comfortable with that um right. you know they're wonderful experiences you get a, i mean i i I thank God every day that it's been a wonderful experience um and i'm I'm so much a a better person for it uh but that's that's not the purpose right <laughs> yeah
0: so one more question and this is a question we ask all of our guests thinking back over course of your career uh, you know can you share a moment of leadership that impacted you yeah
1: I think the um, my my reflection is is somewhat uh, somewhat vicarious but it actually relates to me as well um uh it was um one of the things that i've always tried to do and i believe every leader should do is is uh you know stay immersed in the um to a meaningful extent with clients and uh, so i still i still uh try and do that and um the uh comment about two years ago working with a large um french uh global technology firm uh who had invested hugely in the work that we do and, and uh, we were, we'd done some wonderful work um, essentially identifying and preparing the next generation of vice president uh, in individuals for that organisation. Um, we had this really uh, critical discussion around he didn't feel in the end, uh, although he'd, the, the mandate to us was to work with these vice president um, um, aspirants and we'd certainly done a lot of work he didn't feel, in terms of where that organisation was going, that with all the best intent and and techniques in the world, they would be able to develop enough. So what he what he said to me at the time was, we needed to start earlier with these people. And I I think for me uh, the big shift for me as I as I think about leadership and and you know my role in as a leader as a team builder, I've probably focused as a senior leader too much on what's proximal around me, when you know, for instance, in DDI, as a senior leader, the people who are going to transform more our, our organisations, we've got to skip one or two generations. And, you know, we need to focus on those people more at the front line. Uh, and as a senior leader, you need to be more obsessed with that. And that's, um, for me, that's, <clears throat> as I travel around the world with our teams now, um, it you can very easily get drawn into those, that sort of... Um, that senior level of leadership, whereas now I get very, very focused on what's happening with their frontline leaders. How are they developing their frontline leaders? Because that will predict their future success. So that that for me is is very much what uh, uh, has been a critical shift in my thinking about uh, about leadership.
0: Interesting insight, Bruce Watt, Vice President for Europe, India, Australia, and Licensee Operations. Thank you so much for taking some time with us today.
1: Thanks, Craig, it's been uh, it's been a pleasure.
0: My name is Craig Irons, and I wanna thank you for joining us, and I wanna remind you, to make every moment of leadership count.